Good evening, fellow pilgrims, and welcome to class. As we get ready for letter 31, we're listening to some music, and I'm going to be quiet and let you listen and see if you can recognize what it might be. that might be sounding familiar it's uh from Handel's Messiah and it is that great section uh the trumpet shall sound that talks about the fact that the dead will be raised when that last trumpet sounds and it is a particularly appropriate musical selection for tonight's letter uh Handel's Messiah is one of those marvelous pieces of music that conveys deep spiritual truth and most of us don't really know it very well we've listened to little snippets of it and if you are still finding yourself with extra time on your hands during this pandemic I would encourage you at some point to go and listen to all of the Messiah um, particularly if you can get a YouTube recording that's got lyrics with it uh, because almost all of it is from scripture and it really is telling God's plan of salvation it's a beautiful and glorious thing so tonight as we get ready to dive into the last of the screw tape letters uh, let's begin with a word of prayer let us pray father we thank you so much for the gift of this book the screw tape letters we thank you for the deep wisdom that it contains we pray that you would bless us in our time together tonight as we consider uh, your scriptures we consider the things of the kingdom of God and that you would use this time to draw us uh, further up and further in for we pray all of this in Jesus name amen so I'd like for us to begin as usual uh, with our scripture verse from Ephesians about spiritual warfare. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith 
with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And this verse is such a great reminder of the spiritual warfare that is going on and the unseen realities that are all around. And these last few letters have focused on the fact that these unseen realities are indeed the things that are the most important. They are the things that are eternal. So as we get ready to go into uh, the letter for tonight, I'd like for us to just rehearse once more the reasons that we've been studying this book and the reason that I think this book is so important. First is that it is full of lessons about understanding the battle that we are in. When we don't understand that we're in a battle, we are not very well equipped to withstand in the battle, to fight against the enemy, to stand up for what is right, to do what that verse says about standing firm. And there are great lessons in this book about understanding the battle in which we find ourselves. The second thing that is so important in this book is that it is full of lessons about how to think Christianly and why thinking Christianly and developing a Christian worldview is so very important. We are not very good at thinking we're a soundbite culture, and Screwtype reminds us that when we learn to think Christianly, it annoys the devil. Thirdly, the book is full of letters, full of lessons on the psychology of temptation. And when we understand the enemy's schemes, when we understand a little bit of his strategy, we are much better able to resist. Uh, and as scripture tells us, when we resist the devil, he will flee from us. Fourthly, the book is full of great information on habits that we can cultivate to annoy the devil. And then lastly, it is full of lessons about what it means to live a boldly Christian life, how to be the type of Christian that annoys the devil, whose life makes a difference for the kingdom of heaven. And as we've talked about this subject of habits, I want to just reiterate again that habits are the stuff of which life is made, and that when we begin to use some of these habits that we've talked about and incorporate them as part of our daily routine and the framework of our thinking rooted in the scriptures, it can transform our spiritual lives. As we've said, what part of the essence of a habit is repetition. Think about what would happen if you only brushed your teeth once a month. That would probably not be something that would be very appealing. So, uh, for us or for anyone else. So as we seek to uh, think about what it means to have habits, repetition becomes one of the necessary things. We want to make sure that we are focusing on repeating habits and making them part of our framework. As we repeat and repeat and repeat, they will become almost subconscious for us, and we will do them 
even when we don't feel like it. And that's sort of the point of a habit. So I would commend to you uh, developing and thinking about these habits and incorporating them into your life. And as part of that repetition, we're going to repeat the habits from the past few letters uh, to help us get a handle on those. So going back to letter 27, the first habit is to practice an open and honest prayer life that addresses the real issues in your life. All too often, we do what Screwtape loves, which is to have sort of a fake prayer life where we're trying to impress other people or even impress God by heaping up phrases that sound good. But what we learn is that prayer that really annoys the devil is when we pour out, pour out our hearts, open them fully to God and the Holy Spirit, like the psalmist, where the good, the bad, and the ugly all pour out, and we are honest before God about where we are spiritually. Secondly, contract the terrible habit of obedience to God in prayer and in all of life. Screwtape rails about this habit that obedience is one of the worst things that can happen to the patient. And it is something that in our culture uh, has become kind of uncool. We think it's more cool to be disobedient. But for a Christian, obedience to Christ is one of the most life-giving things that we can ever find. So that is a habit that we should all seek to contract, that terrible habit of obedience. Thirdly, cultivate an eternal perspective and remember that God sees everything in his unbounded now. When we get caught up in the short term, when we get caught up in the moment, very often we lose all perspective. We may lose our hope, we may become discouraged or fall victim to despair. But when we keep an eternal perspective and remember that God is outside of time, that he's the creator of time, uh, it can help put things back in their proper context. Fourthly, avoid embracing the fallacies of the historical point of view and deconstructionism. This is the idea that Screwtape would love for us to buy into, that any wisdom from an age that is past can't possibly be wisdom simply because it's ancient. And for Screwtape, anything ancient is yesterday and backwards from that. And it is a reminder to us that there were many deeply Christian and deeply thoughtful people who have lived in all of the ages past, like that song, I sing a song of the saints of God, uh, faithful and brave and true. And they lived not only in ages past, but now. But the idea is that there is wisdom to be had in the past. Certainly there are things that were wrong in the past, but we cannot throw out the whole record of human history uh, unless we want to cause the devil to rejoice. Deconstructionism is that same thing where we refuse to ask what might be true in the work of an ancient author. We just look for the things that might be wrong with their point of view and therefore find excuses to dismiss what they said. Fifthly, from that letter, seek to proactively learn from the wisdom of the past, especially Christian wisdom. And this is one of those great things that Lewis was all about encouraging, which is learning from the saints, from the church fathers, to actually read old books. 
and in our internet age, one of the great things is many of these books and these writings are available to us just with a click on our computers. Lewis had a rule that he would never read a new book until he had reread an old one. And although that might be too extreme for many of us, beginning to read some things about the lives of the saints, about the church fathers, uh, can be something that can help transform us and make us aware of that great stream of Christian witness that goes back for over 2,000 years. Then from letter 28, daily increase in conscious dependence upon God rather than on worldly hopes. Sometimes it is all too easy to pin our hopes and think all of our life is about what's happening right now. And we are reminded in the Lord's Prayer that we are to be in dependence upon God daily, to be asking him for our daily bread. And the more that we remember that our life is sustained by God, that each breath we have comes from God, that he is the one holding the world together, uh, it is important and it reminds us to be leaning on him and leaning into prayer. Second, fight against drabness in and resentment in your situation in life. Screwtape wants us to be unhappy, to be discontent. But scripture tells us, and you might remember this in Paul's words, that we are to learn how to be content. Discontent, drabness, boredom, all of those things are the devil's playground. And we need to make sure that we seek after joy, that we seek after hope, that we seek after uh, the fact that our life is caught up with the kingdom of God, not just with our circumstances. Thirdly, be on guard against your heart being too knitted to the things of this world instead of to your true homeland. This is one of the blessings of this peculiar time in which we find ourselves, that many of the idols to which we have become knitted, whether it's entertainment or sports or going to the gym or whatever it might be, a lot of those things have been taken away from us. And it helps us to uh, realize how knitted so often we become to the things of this world. And those things that are pleasures, remember, can be good things. But we are to always be reminded that we are made for another land. We are made for another reality. We are made for another kingdom that we have become citizens of through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And when we focus on that homeland, it gives us hope. Fourthly, make time for music and poetry and literature that can point you toward unseen realities and God's kingdom. Screwtape talks in that beautiful letter 28 about how the work of decades on the part of the devil can be swept away by a thing of beauty, by the sound of the waves of the ocean, by beautiful literature or a beautiful thought and a poem. And that is because God is the source of all that is beautiful and true and good. So we would do well to make space for those things that can speak to our souls and open them up to beauty. Fifthly, beware of the illusion that politics or policies or any human or any human progress can make heaven on earth. This is so subtle. 
because we are commanded as Christians to stand up for what is right, to stand up for justice. But we can't put our hope in these things or that we'll ever achieve them in this world. Because when we do, we become too caught up and the realities of this world, and then we all too often leave aside the things of the kingdom of God, and we forget that the gospel and the conversion of individual hearts to Jesus Christ is the most important thing that we are called to do. Sixthly, cultivate an understanding of safety that has more to do with being in the will of God than with your own personal comfort. This is an area that the modern church has failed to grasp. All too often, we pray for our safety and for the safety of our families, which is certainly fine to do, but it, we need to be reminded that that is not the ultimate good. If we were all kept safe all the time, we would never risk anything for the kingdom and our faith would become a frail and feeble thing. We need to be reminded that God's call on our life and being in the center of his will is where our safety lies. Our safety lies in belonging to him, whether it be in this mortal life or in the next. From letter 29, the first habit, be on guard against developing any type of hatred, including hatred on behalf of others. We saw in that letter what glee screw tape takes in hatred. Not only hatred that breaks into war, but interpersonal hatred, hatred between races or classes or political parties. So you can only imagine the rejoicing of our father below, as Screwtape would say, and what is going on in our culture today. And it is a time where it is all the more important that Christians be about love, where we love genuinely. We can hate the sin, but we need to love the sinner. And we need to even be careful about hating the sin if it infects our hearts and to, causes us to look down on others. Secondly, be wary of unresolved fear or shame and how they can lead to hatred. So often hurt or fear or shame or uh, fear of the unknown leads us toward hatred and prejudice. And those things are not of the gospel. We are to be set free by Jesus and set free by the cross from those things so that we can be set free to love in the way that Jesus loves. Thirdly, be prayerfully alert to the forces of good and evil and work in your life and in the world rather than being ignorant. Ignorance is nowhere commended in scripture. Yet many of us find it easier to be ignorant. Sometimes it's easier to bury our head in the sand than it is to try to figure out what's right and wrong. It's easier to just think everything's good and it's all just going to work out than it is to realize that we are in this battle and some things are evil and need to be spoken against and that there are things that are good that need to be embraced and loved and places where we are called to word and action. Fourthly, we need to understand and practice the true virtue of courage. Lewis talks a lot about virtue and that as Christians, we are called to practice virtue. And he says, courage is 
the most important virtue because it is the form of every other virtue at the testing point. Screwtape hates courage because remember all through this book we've heard Screwtape saying keep the patient feeling but don't let him act under any circumstances and courage is the virtue that brings us out of feeling and thinking about something to actually doing to taking a stand to acting toward reaching out to that stranger or bridging that gap or saying those words of love that we've been afraid to say or going across the lines of race to reach out and fellowship to someone there's so many different ways that courage causes us to practice a virtue and we need to take those risks that God calls us to. Fifthly, understand that despair is a serious sin and something to be avoided. Sometimes as Christians, we can get the idea that feeling depressed and staying in a state of depression is sort of spiritual um, because we are bewailing all of the things that are wrong. But the problem with that point of view is that it's not scriptural. Now, certainly depression as an illness is something that we need to understand and have compassion for and seek help about. But Christians are not to remain in a state of bewailing. It is just like in Cranmer's beautiful words in the confession in the prayer book, we acknowledge and bewail our manifold sins and wickedness, which we from time to time most grievously have committed by thought, word, and deed against thy divine majesty. And the reason that that's good is it's in the context of the prayer of confession where we're repenting. We don't say we acknowledge and intend to henceforth live in our manifold sins and wickedness which we bewail. No, no, no. Christians don't live there in the bewailing. We need to keep short accounts. We need to mourn our sins. We need to confess them. We need to repent. And then we need to trust God's forgiveness and become people of hope. Despair is a sin uh, because when we dwell in despair, we deny the hope of the gospel and we no longer shine as a light. We put our light under a bushel, which brings joy to Satan. Lastly, from that letter, live in the confidence that your ultimate safety is in Christ alone, not in building a foolproof network of precautions. And I think I mentioned before that sitcom called Monk about the guy who is obsessive compulsive, who takes every precaution and then some that could ever be imagined against getting any kind of germs. And in this pandemic, some of us are a little bit like that. And precautions are good. Uh, precautions make good sense, but we can't trust them. They are only a tool, and we need to remember that our ultimate safety is in Christ and that our days and our lives are in his hands. And then from last week's letter 30, uh, firstly, choose to obediently do what you know is right, even when you are afraid. All too often, we may have an idea of something that we should do, but we're afraid to do it. We don't want to practice that terrible habit of obedience. 
And one of the best ways to annoy the devil is to do what we know is right, even when we're afraid. And we can see how Screwtape railed in that letter against Wormwood, because the patient during the war, even though he was terrified, went ahead and did his duty and even more and helped others in the midst of his own fear. Secondly, practice perseverance, especially when you are fatigued, and be wary of false hopes of comfort. Perseverance is something scripture commends over and over and over again, but we live in what we might call kind of a wimpy age. We don't like perseverance. We don't like to do anything when it doesn't feel good anymore. Grit and determination, those qualities we so often associate with the greatest generation from World War II, are not ones that always characterize us or our age. And Screwtape rails again about this, that when the patient practices perseverance, it puts all of the schemes of the devil um, at a huge disadvantage. So we're to remember to be people of perseverance, to trust in God, to give us the strength to do what we're called to do. Thirdly, do not let the horror of the evil that men can do cause you to doubt your faith in God's goodness. And certainly there's a lot of evil in the world now. We see suffering of those who are persecuted for the gospel, uh, particularly when we look at what is happening in countries like Nigeria to Christians who are being slaughtered while the word world stands by and does nothing. Or we look even in our own country where we see the innocent suffer. Uh, we see people who are oppressed by various forces in society. We see so much brokenness in politics uh, and in our leadership, and we wonder where is the good? And so often we are tempted to doubt our faith, to doubt God's goodness, to think how could God be good and allow all these things to happen? And yet we must never give in to that hope because we need to be reminded that our tendency to doubt God's goodness is based on these circumstances. And circumstances are never to define our faith. Remember that that most joyous book in the New Testament, Philippians, was written while Paul was in jail, chained to a Roman guard. And he is so full of joy, not because he's rejoicing at being in jail or chained up, but because he is reflecting and dwelling and abiding in the truth and the hope of the gospel. And we need to do the same thing. Jesus has won the war. The battle may seem to be going in a bad direction, but we know that ultimately Christ is victorious. Fourthly, Embrace a scriptural understanding of what is real with a capital R that encompasses spiritual, emotional, and physical reality. Our culture wants to dumb down reality to make us think it is only what we can experience with our senses. But the fact of the matter is that the scriptures tell us that the deepest realities are unseen, that they are the realities of the kingdom of heaven, of eternity, of things that stood before the earth was with, even created when it was without form and void. 
And we're going to hear more about that in tonight's letter, but we need to remember what being real really means. We talked a little bit about the story of the Velveteen Rabbit, where the rabbit who this little stuffed animal toy has been loved by this child and is dirty and kind of falling apart, but in the child's eyes is more real than ever because he has been so loved. And so it is with us. The more we are loved by God and Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and the more that we love others in that power of the Holy Spirit, the more real those relationships become, the more real we become. Our understanding of reality cannot be limited to what we experience with our senses. And then fifth, focus on spiritual realities that lead to joy and growth and refuse to embrace discouragement. We need to be praying that God would be working in us through his Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And we need to open ourselves up to that and to pray for that rather than to dwell in realities of this earth that discourage us. Sometimes we think because there are problems in our lives that that defines our reality. And certainly problems are real and they are challenging and they are draining. But we must, as Christians, focus on the realities of the kingdom of God that are more real than our problems are. So that brings us to letter 31. Um, the last of these letters. And let me just pause here to say that uh, if you were about to breathe a sigh of relief that class was about to be over, I'm sorry to disappoint you, uh, but we're going to keep going for the rest of July because uh, Lewis, as some of you know, wrote a very brief sequel to the Screwtape Letters that's a little essay called Screwtape Proposes a Toast. So next week, we're going to start diving into that, and then we'll spend uh, a couple of weeks on that and then a little bit in wrapping up our study of Screwtape. So we'll be going on through the rest of July. So for letter 31, get your books out, get your highlighter, get your pen, and uh, be ready for this culminating letter in the saga of Screwtape and Wormwood and the Patient. My dear, my very dear Wormwood, my poppet, my pig's knee, how mistakenly now that all is lost, you come whimpering to ask me whether the terms of affection in which I address you meant nothing from the beginning. Far from it. Rest assured, my love for you and your love for me are as like as two peas. I have always desired you as you, pitiful fool, desired me. The difference is that I am the stronger. I think they will give you to me now, or a bit of you love you, why yes, as dainty a morsel as I ever grew fat on. You have let a soul slip through your fingers, the howl of sharpened famine for that loss, 
re-echoes at this moment through all the levels of the kingdom of noise down to the very throne itself. It makes me mad to think of it. How will I know what happened at the instant when they snatched him from you? There was a sudden clearing of his eyes, was there not, as he saw you for the first time and recognized the part you had had in him and knew that you had it no longer. Just think and let it be the beginning of your agony. What he felt at that moment, as if a scab had fallen from an old sore, as if he was emerging from a hideous shell-like tether, as if he shuffled off for good and all a defiled, wet, clinging garment. By hell, it is misery enough to see them in their mortal days, taking off dirtied and uncomfortable clothes and splashing in hot water and giving little grunts of pleasure, stretching their eased limbs. What then of this final stripping, this complete cleansing. The more one thinks about it, the worse it becomes. He got through so easily. No gradual misgivings, no doctor's sentence, no nursing home, no operating theater, no false hopes of life, sheer instantaneous liberation. One moment, it seemed to be all our world, the scream of bombs, the fall of houses, the stink and taste of high explosive on the lips and in the lungs, the feet burning with weariness, the heart cold with horrors, the brain reeling, the legs aching. Next moment, all this was gone, gone like a bad dream never again to be of any account. Defeated, outmaneuvered fool. Did you mark how naturally, as if he'd been born for it, the earthborn vermin entered the new life? How all his doubts became in the twinkling of an eye ridiculous. I know what the creature was saying to itself. Yes, of course, it was always like this. All horrors have followed the same course, getting worse and worse and forcing into you into a kind of bottleneck, till at the very moment when you thought you must be crushed, behold, you were out of the narrows, and all was suddenly well. The extraction hurt more and more, and then the tooth was out. The dream became a nightmare, and then you woke. You die and die, and then you were beyond death. How could I ever have doubted it? As he saw you, he also saw them. I know how it was. You reeled back dizzy and blinded, more hurt by them than he had ever been by bombs. The degradation of it that this thing of earth and slime could stand upright and converse with spirits before whom you, a spirit, could only cower. Perhaps you had hoped that the awe and strangeness of it would dash his joy. But that is the cursed thing, 
The gods are strange to mortal eyes, and yet they are not strange. He had no faintest conception till that very hour of how they would look, and even doubted their existence. But when he saw them, he knew that he had always known them and realized what part each one of them had played at many an hour in his life when he had supposed himself alone. So that he could now say to them one by one, not, who are you, but, so it was you all the time. All that they were and said at this meeting woke memories. The dim consciousness of friends about him, which had haunted his solitudes from infancy, was now at last explained. That central music in every pure experience which had just always evaded memory was now at last recovered. Recognition made him free of their company almost before the limbs of his corpse became quiet. Only you were left outside. He saw not only them, he saw him. This animal, this thing, begotten in a bed, could look on him. What is blinding, suffocating fire to you is now cool light to him, is clarity itself and wears the form of a man. You would like, if you could, to interpret the patient's prostration in the presence, his self-abhorrence and utter knowledge of his sins, yes, Wormwood, a clearer knowledge even than yours, on the analogy of your own choking and paralyzing sensations when you encounter the deadly air that breathes from the heart of heaven. But it's all nonsense. Pains he may still have to encounter, but they embrace those pains. They would not barter them for any earthly pleasure. All the delights of sense or heart or intellect with which you could once have tempted him, even the delights of virtue itself, now seem to him in comparison but as the half-nauseous attractions of a rattled harlot would seem to a man who hears that his true beloved, whom he has loved all his life and whom he had believed to be dead, is alive and even now at his door. He is caught up into that world where pain and pleasure take on transfinite values and all our arithmetic is dismayed. Once more, the inexplicable meets us. Next to the curse of useless tempters like yourself, the greatest curse upon us is the failure of our intelligence department. If only we could find out what he is really up to. Alas, alas, that knowledge in itself so hateful and mawkish a thing should yet be necessary for power. Sometimes I am almost in despair. All that sustains me is the conviction that our realism, our rejection in the face of all temptations, of all silly nonsense and claptrap, must win in the end. 
Meanwhile, I have you to settle with. Most truly do I sign myself your increasingly and ravenously affectionate uncle, Screwtape. Well, that is quite a letter and quite a way to end. And just as a little bit of context, you will remember that we've had little hints all through these letters that what happens to these tempters is that they devour. They devour souls that come down to our Father below, but they also devour each other. And that when one demon is really punished, he is allowed to be eaten by the others as a real delicacy. So that is why apparently Wormwood has been pleading with Screwtape to protect him from this penalty that he knows is coming. But Screwtape, in truly horrible fashion, says he's really looking forward to the feast that is to come where Wormwood is the main course, hoping he'll get a little morsel for himself. And that little... Uh, series of endearments at the beginning. Uh, I think it's mostly Lewis having fun, Wormwood, my puppet, my pig's knee. Pig's knee is a medieval term of affection, um, uh, an endearing term for a very close, uh, usually child, uh, that is beloved of someone who is an adult. So, Wormwood is fearing for his life, not looking forward to becoming the banquet feast because he has let a soul slip through his fingers. The patient has been killed in the war and he has been set free from this mortal life and immediately gone to the joy of heaven. His vision has cleared. He has seen Wormwood and Screwtape's minions, seen them for what they are, been horrified by them, but at the same time has seen the angels and ministering spirits and been gratified by the fact that they have been with him through his whole life and then he is ushered into the very presence of Christ himself, where he falls on his face in joy and wonder and praise to Jesus for saving his life. And of course, all of this makes Screwtape absolutely crazy. And there is a howl that goes all the way to the throne of Satan that the soul has been lost. And by the by, this should be a great encouragement to us about sharing the gospel, because look how this, more than anything else that could possibly happen, annoys the devil when a soul uh, becomes one with Christ. So, Let's look at the habits in this letter. Um, first, understand that your vision of spiritual reality is limited and therefore trust the witness of scripture for truth. We see here that the patient really couldn't understand all of the spiritual realities, but he has believed the promises of scripture. So from 2 Corinthians 4, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. 
And then from 1 Corinthians 2, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God declared before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Secondly, live in the constant awareness that this mortal life is but a prelude to your eternal life with God. From Romans 8, If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And then from 1 Peter 1, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And then from 2 Corinthians 5, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. And it is a reminder to us that this mortal life is not the end. It is not the end of the story. It is only, as Lewis says, at the end of the Chronicles of Narnia, the title page and the foreword, the first chapter of that story where each chapter is greater and more wonderful than the one before. The third habit, take comfort from the fact that you are not alone on this pilgrimage. And we talked about this way back in the earlier letters where we talked about the church and the church triumphant and the cloud of witnesses. But here we're talking about the cloud of witnesses and the angel host, the ministering spirits that surround us. From Hebrews 1, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. And then from Hebrews 13, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. And then from Matthew 18, Jesus's words, see that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. And then from Psalm 91, that great promise, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. And then Hebrews 12, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. 
My friends, this is a great reminder that in that unseen reality, the population is not all evil. The population also includes the angels of God, the Holy Spirit, these ministering spirits. And as we see from Jesus, they are very real. Jesus speaks of them and they attend Jesus. And we know that when we are walking through this pilgrimage, we are not alone, that God sends his angels and his ministering spirits to be with us. The fourth habit, cultivate a profound future hope rooted in the joy of the presence of Christ where perfect love casts out fear. My friends, when we concentrate on the fact that we are to spend eternity with Christ in the joy of his presence, this is a profound future hope. And hope needs to be cultivated during these days of darkness. And that as a reminder that the scriptures tell us that one of the fruit of the spirit, one of the things to characterize the Christian is hope. Listen to this from 1 Peter 1. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not yet see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. And then from Colossians 3. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And then from Philippians 3, which is a great chapter. If you haven't read that whole chapter lately, I would commend that to you, or even the whole book. So from Philippians 3, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, even the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And then the fifth habit, do not be led astray by the false realism of the world that denies the love of God as the center of the universe. My friends, we are surrounded by this false realism. The worldview of many of the people who speak most loudly in our culture today is that there is no God, there is no spiritual reality, there is no love in the center of the universe. At the most, there's a primal goo and a life force, but certainly no personal God, certainly no purpose or meaning. Um, all we have is what is right in front of us, and most of that is not very encouraging. When we feed ourselves on a constant stream of this kind of stuff from the world, we are led astray and begin to believe this false realism. But as scripture tells us, we as Christians are commanded not to do that, to set our minds on the things of God's kingdom instead. Listen to this from the word of God, uh, from Philippians. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. 
Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with mind set on earthly things. And then from Romans 1, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. And then that old verse from Psalm 14, so profoundly true, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And certainly as Christians, all of us would say we believe in God, but we need to do a little check of ourselves and make sure that although we say that that's our belief, that we haven't let that cold realism that worships the creature, that worships created things, that says that this world is all that there is, that our minds and our appetites are set only on earthly things. We need to make sure that we have not let those things overtake us and that we understand that what is real, what is true, what is noble, what is pure, what is excellent, what is worthy of praise is the beauty and truth and goodness that comes from the kingdom of God. And then lastly, rejoice in the self-giving love of God that seeks to set you free rather than to consume you as food. One of the greatest contrasts we see throughout the screw tape letters is the aim of God through Jesus Christ and the aim of Satan. Satan wants to devour us to make us food for himself, to possess us entirely so that he can use us for his nefarious purposes, for his own gleeful delight and gluttony, to take away every bit of us that is truly ours and make us his. Whereas Screwtape has said, the intelligence department still can't understand why it appears that what God wants to do is to love us, to set us free, to make us most purely what we're created to be in the first place, to give us ultimate and true freedom where we are not shackled by sin, but we are set free to live in joy. And this contrast goes all the way through the book and it is made even more clear here at the end where we see uh, Screwtape literally licking his lips to devour Wormwood. Listen to these verses from the Word of God from 2 Corinthians 5. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And then this beautiful verse from Romans 8. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. 
because Jesus in his self-sacrificial love gave himself for us once for all on the cross. We have been set free from the bondage to the kingdom of sin and death, and we have been made citizens of a kingdom whose foundations are not built with hands, where the word of God stands forever, and we are set free in the glorious freedom of the sons of God, all because of who Jesus is and what he did for us. And that is a cause for great rejoicing, and it is the reason that the patient is rejoicing as he has been set free from this mortal life to live eternally with God. If you ever have the chance, I hope that you will see uh, Max McLean's theatrical version of the Screwtape Letters, because I think perhaps the most powerful scene in it is the capturing of this 33rd letter, a 31st letter, where the patient dies and is set free, and you see uh, the glorious light pouring down into hell and making uh, screw tape and wormwood and all of their minions cringe in pain from this glorious light and the joy and the music and the triumph sounding from heaven when the soul is united with Christ. It is a glorious and beautiful thing, but even that is only a shadow of the reality that awaits us. So, my friends, as we conclude this last letter, I commend to you again this book. Uh, it's a great book to share with a friend. It is a great book to listen to with a friend through this podcast now that you've been through all of these letters uh, and to talk about. Uh, I would also commend to sit down and reread the whole book again now that we've been through these different letters and the habits uh, so that you can see all of the truth that Lewis works in to this great manual about how to annoy the devil. I'm so glad that you've been able to be on this journey with us as pilgrims with me, uh, looking toward uh, what we can learn about how to annoy Satan and how to live a boldly Christian life. Uh, as I've said, in the next weeks, uh, we will be looking at Screwtape Proposes a Toast, uh, which is also full of great insights about how to annoy the devil and about the reality of the kingdom of God. So let's close this week with that wonderful quotation from letter eight of Screwtape about that terrible habit of obedience. Our cause is never more in danger, Wormwood, than when a human no longer desiring but still intending to do our enemy's will looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. My friends, I pray that God will bless you as you consider these habits to annoy the devil. Let's close with a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love for us, that you took on flesh, came into this world that you had made as a helpless baby, lived a life of perfect obedience, gave your life for us in self-sacrificial love on that cross, 
that you were raised from the dead and ascended into heaven and are seated at the right hand of the Father, and that you have done all of that in love, that we might have the way of salvation opened for us, that we might live forever in joy with you. Lord, we pray that as we consider these screw tape letters, that you would help us to long for the things of your kingdom, to not be seduced by the powers of this world and the powers of the enemy, and that we would live lives where we practice these habits to annoy the devil, that we might grow in the fruit of the Spirit, in faith and hope, and most of all, in love. Lord, we thank you for your great love for us, and we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. I pray that you have a great week as we go further up and further in and seeking to annoy the devil. God bless you and see you next week.